This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Pull Up Trey. Um, back from our feud, we realized no one wins when the family feud. <laughs> I am Trey. This is Sanson. How are you doing, brother? I feel I feel good. It's always good to make up after beef, you know, to, to make sure. Yeah, no one wins when the family feuds. Correct, correct. Um, the Jays are also in a better spot than they were when we weren't like when we took that little break that also meant that the Jays snapped off like five losses in yeah. a row they clearly need us they just lost a game before we started recording we have to record um like we went to a game together and they won we're gonna yeah. go to a game together next week um provided that everybody it gives timely responses for tickets <laughs> and <laughs> and they're probably gonna win that one too we gotta get Gossman a W but the people are here for basketball talk. We're good. Everyone, we're all pleased and everything. There's some stuff going around about the Raptors. Now, this isn't the most rumor-esque podcast. That isn't typically where we make our living. It's usually a little bit more in-depth. But I got to tell you, we're in the dog days. <laughs> Rumors are abound. And we will be taking things from the playoffs and talking about that. But first thing I want to talk about, Masai Ujiri. For what must be the eighth time is linked to the Washington Wizards. Now, I kind of want to pick apart what's been happening here. First things first, though. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on Masai plus Washington for the eighth time? I, th- I think it's a, a non-story. Um, Masai is, has some sort of ownership piece with the, with the Raptors. He's been pretty entrenched in what he was doing. And you you don't make those type of statements like in an end of year presser if you aren't committed to being at the team long term. And the type of moves that they I guess didn't make at the deadline would suggest that they he plans on being here for a long time. So I, I think it's a non-story. So I wanted to use this. I also think it's a non-story for what it's worth. I want to use this as an opportunity to segue into Masai's decision making, the type mm-hmm. of team he's built, what type of role you think he plays because. This is something I like to get opinions on. Is there is Bobby the guy making decisions? What do you think? I, I love asking fans this question. I love asking my friends this question. I, I would say like besides like Logan Roy, like he's not doing the meticulous day to day stuff, but he'll look at he'll look at something like, oh, this is stupid. Let's not do this, or let's do this at the end, and gives like a final say. I don't think probably not like from like since like really Bobby has been stamped over the last few years, I I don't think he's probably doing the day-to-day operations. Like he probably was to say like 2014, 2015, but that's all assumption. This is something that in the NBA, particularly there are other teams in the league, which I have friends uh, who are professionals with other teams on staff around the league. And you would be surprised how titles are much more meaningful 
to public than they are to workflow. And I think that the rappers also have a little bit of that going on. Titles are for public perception. The actual work that gets done, when you drop a trade, it's not Maasai crafting it, checking all the cap permutations, all that kind of stuff. It's been Bobby for some time. It's still Bobby. Um, There's the big red button that Maasai has, though, I would say. And the big red button, I don't think it's been pushed. Do you think do you think they've had anything that's been like crazy over the past couple of years or has it been they've been failing in the smaller areas and it's culminated in this, I guess, larger failing at scale? I would say they're all um, it's accumulation of like small bad moves that have put us in the situation. But death by a thousand cuts. Is if I were to say like there was a, a button push, I guess like the deadline and trading for Jakob, that's like unconcerted organizational decision where everyone needs to be on the same page before trading away your pick. Here's a fun one. We talked about what we want to pay. Pirtle, Trent, yeah. Fred. We we negotiated for Fred. Oh, I, I, I heard about it. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> we, we both did from separate, yeah. from separate groups, which is probably the best as far as engagement. I think yeah. we made it. Um, Gary, rumors are this guy... Maybe the Raptors are happy to let him walk. Maybe the Raptors, they get a situation where they can negotiate him pretty far down from where he was. Or maybe he takes that player option. Do you have a preference? Order them. Um, I think Gary is very dependent upon like what happens with the core. If you break up the core, like either one of Fred and, and Pascal, then signing Gary makes more sense from uh asset management perspective but if you're keeping if you're deciding i'm going to double down on the pasco scotty sort of timeline then letting him walk or turning him into someone else who turning him into a player that maybe fits a bit better makes more sense for me typically just a the new cba rules are going to incentivize teams to be more malleable with how they utilize their salary and then just um also there isn't for such a large salary spot to have someone who probably can't start for your team is kind of a sunk cost, I would say. It seems like the sunk cost fallacy. I actually avoided using that term. I really wanted to use it in that piece I wrote yeah. uh, about Gary, kind of what the market, where the market is at, what it might dictate for him, and how what he succeeded and failed at this past season. Uh, a bit of insight from the paywall part of that piece. I have slowly since, I think, November – been asking friends in the NBA, friends who cover the NBA, fans, everybody about how much they'd be willing to pay Gary Trent Jr. Now, keep in mind, my friends are not like Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, so grain of salt, but nobody said they were willing to go north of 20 as far as professionals in the league. Fans, there were some people who wanted to go north of 20. I haven't asked in a little bit regarding that. Are you comfortable going north of 20? No, 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 no chance in hell. Um, for a player of that, when you look at, especially like watching the playoffs, you need players, especially if you're going to pay for that top, that salary spot, who are going to be able to defend at a high level to really get minutes. Shot making, I think in today's NBA, just isn't enough. You're seeing it with guys like Jordan Poole, although he's, much higher plane than where Gary is, it's still having a hard time like managing minutes because he can't play defense. And Gary is probably a worse defender and a worse shot maker. So it's tough. It's, that's kind of the 
that's the tough part is that to make the most of Gary on the floor, you're going to want to leverage his shot making a ton. Yeah. Not only like for him to get the amount of shots he needs, he has to be one of the most talented shot makers on the floor. That was true. And if he comes back, will be true in Toronto, but isn't true a lot of other places in the NBA. He seems like looking at his game, a luxury piece, or maybe a guy who helps Lonnie Walker, for example, who is a different player, but kind of occupied the end of the Lakers bench. Mm -hmm. He comes in, shot making helps swing and you know a playoff game that's yeah. a big deal that's also something that gary is capable of however he's not strong enough in other areas be it playmaking ball handling defense to justify always being out there we saw that happen during the end of the season where he became more of a player who if you were you know a raptor fan you saw him being used as a guy like if he's hot let it ride but he's not guaranteed between 28 you know, he's not guaranteed to go north of 30 minutes every night anymore like he was for a long time because the Raptors found an identity in defense and he wasn't really hacking it. And also there was shooting, OG in particular, shooting the ball well changed the, the way that all worked. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. It's significantly more likely now that he takes the player option though. Um, but I also, I don't know if he sees a route to a bunch of minutes with the rap, like he'll have minutes, of course, if he comes back, but a bunch of minutes so that he can build up that resume, that basketball reference stat page of like, okay, now I can get paid because for all intents and purposes, the, the Raptors are still going to run back that five until further notice. I don't know what Gary's camp is hearing. I don't know what they're trying to maneuver, but it's just too, it's tough to envision him getting a place on the Raptors where he's able to make a ton more money. And that's obviously what he wants. And that's what he should want, for the yeah. record. Earn as much as you can. It's also tough to see that coming from other teams around the league who, if they have the cap space, a lot of them are younger teams who have wings or guards who want as many shots and touches as possible. And they probably want, they'd rather keep their cap sheet clean than have Gary come and take those possessions. It's tough. Um What's the number you're comfortable at? Um, probably like I think when we negotiate it was somewhere I think I said eighteen or nineteen a year, like around that range. Even even then, to to me, it's I think you probably would want to utilize that in a player that's going to be a rotation player in your playoff on your playoff team. But for Gary and that's uh, like the composition of the team, paying him eighteen is fine because he's going to be put in a position where his shot making is is allowed to have as much um, leverage and and purpose on any team maybe across the league just because like we are so like um we just lack shooting and we, we anyone on the team that can shoot is going to try to find minutes malachi flynn hasn't been the shooter that he's was projected to be coming out the league but the mere thought of him reigniting that has got gives him minutes at times even that's you don't think Gary would be a, a rotation player in the playoffs for the Raptors? For the Raptors, yes, but we were in a playoff team. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, think about it. Um, I don't think he start. I don't think he plays on the Lakers. Like Malik Bleasley has a similar skill set. He can play. Hmm. Yeah. This. This. Yeah. I, I, we mentioned this conversation the last yeah. time we talked about. It, it was like 
on a contender or like a top six team in a conference. Yeah. Is Gary getting bumped? It's it's tough to imagine him not getting bumped, and that's you know, he's he's in the realm of the guys like Eric Gordon or or Jordan Clarkson or or Norman Powell, and it's those guys. You know, as I wrote, they've they've all had better seasons under their belt than Gary has. They've reached higher highs, and so we'll see what happens with Gary. It's very interesting. Part of that usage, if he comes back, is going to be determined by the Raptors' coach, of course. Big news on that end as far as discourse. Big news in actuality? I don't think so. I'll say it right here. I don't think J.J. Redick is going to be the Raptors coach. It is, however, fun that the spectacle J.J. Redick podcast listener, this one, by the way, um, it it is fun to think about the spectacle or to discuss the spectacle of J.J. just showing up and being like, yeah, I can coach. And the Raptors being like, sure, we're looking at everybody. We haven't talked about Becky Hammond, really. We haven't talked about J.J. Redick. We talked about Jerry Stackhouse for a smidge, but he also was on Twitter saying, I'm not leaving. Um, maybe like Jordan Belfort, you know. But I'm curious, <laughs> where, where do you sit where do you sit on the uh on the JJ Reddick, first of all? Um, like I think with JJ, I, I think they were probably, if I were to guess, they were probably taken aback that Emmy didn't want the job. And now and now they're widespread across the board trying to uncover all 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 stones trying to figure out who is going to be the coach for me. I don't think there's honestly, there isn't an option where I go into a situation being mad with the coaches. Although uh, like, uh, would you, would you be upset with an internal hire? Ooh, take I take it back. You're right. I'd be mad. Yeah. I'd be mad. If it's Adrian Griffin, I'd probably be mad, but you, you would think it would be, more of a continuation of nurses style legacy, yeah. et cetera. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say that, but in terms of like someone with no coaching experience, it hasn't really worked, worked out other than really Steve Kerr, but Steve Kerr was re- in an organization for years and helped build the Suns before then. So you can even say that scenario helped parlay his coaching. So, um, I don't think it's a, a real thing, but I, I, I do think it's just uh, just to show everyone like how early they are in the process and they don't have an idea of who the coach is really going to be of, 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 as of right now. That, as, as I've said before, I'm not getting a ton on my end. I, like, I don't know who the next coach is going to yeah. be. Um, I believe it was Michael Grange who first reported it, and then everybody was like, this isn't true. And then Woj was like, Hey, JJ Reddick interviewed everyone's like, hey, maybe this is true, <laughs> you know. Um, so shout out to Michael for figuring that one out before Woj didn't get any of the credit, really. The thing is, I would probably be pretty miffed. Sorry, JJ, if you're listening, if JJ was the coach. Yeah. It's tough to imagine JJ getting the buy-in necessary because that is that is the biggest thing here. I'll use I'll use something that NBA on ESPN posted to try and gas up um, LeBron James' galaxy brain. So what they did was years before, in 2018, the Warriors ran a hammer play. And that, by the way, the hammer play is named after Darvin Ham. This was covered years ago by the Bouncing Around podcast, the, <laughs> uh, all, the, all that stuff. So anyway, and it worked against LeBron's team at the time. Here's the thing. A lot of teams run hammer, like a lot. Yeah. And they run it more than once a game. 
And not only that, it's such a common action and so easy that you can interlay it in other set actions as a counter. They overplay the handoff, the guy goes down, you run a hammer action on the weak side. It just so happens that that's what the Golden State Warriors did. The Lakers were switching every single action. They switch at the handoff. They also switch the the hammer screen and action in the corner. They end up turning the ball over. Now, this was made out to be that LeBron remembered a play from five years ago and blew it up. Here's the thing. NBA playbooks are super similar. NBA offenses have a lot of overlap. And every single coach from the sixth guy on the bench to the first guy on the bench to the Hall, the future Hall of Fame coaches, they all have a lot of the same info. They all call a lot of the same things. The, like the book is out at the NBA level. The book is out. You need a guy that players, a guy or girl that the players like, respect, and will get buy-in from. And you also need a coach who's going to, in some cases, emphasize the right players. As far as having a guy who's like a whiz with the, you know, the playbook, all that kind of stuff, sure. But James Borrego isn't around anymore, and he was, you know, the whiz kid. Yeah. I'm just – nobody – this is why coaching is tough to, like, critique, A, yeah. and also very difficult to project. Nobody has any idea because you – like, we can't see these guys hang out. Like Nick Nurse and Kawhi Leonard, what what was the feedback? Kawhi was like, uh, he seems like he likes basketball. Nick was like, he also seems like he likes basketball. We're playing basketball, everybody. But nobody knows anything. Yeah. Nobody has a clue. And like that's that's just it's very tough to project. Speaking of, any update on the on the Vanderbilt Stackhouse situation? Have you have you been paying attention to it at all? Um our our friend Nabil, who's been on this pod before, has been updating us on the lines daily. Agent, agent Nabil, yes. <laughs> so I've seen the. Um, I believe he's first or second. I think ha- Becky Hammond is first. She's he's second. She's first now. Yeah, she's first now. I, we got a lot of stuff. Bob's yes. your uncle. Yeah, I would just say like overall with coaches, the only thing I actually care about is like how what is their vision with Scotty and how they plan on utilizing him in the future. Like sort of like what Caitlin said last week on on your guys's pod without me but (laughs) (laughs) right right but yeah um i did see very interestingly um um, david adelman got got an interview and that would be a hire that i'd be really happy about i i wonder um how come come? because the the way that they utilize Jokic and obviously Adelman is famous his father Rick Adelman's famous for the corner offense which the Raptors use with with Marcus Gasol quite frequently i wonder do you parlay that with Scotty get shooting around him and that's how you ignite his way to stardom that seems like the most um, on the most surface layer um on the most surface level that's the way to operate around him and make it work so I think that's at least uh, that indication would be this is what their priority is. This is what they're looking for. Hmm. Good. I'm glad. 
That's in, that's insightful. I was wondering why you were mentioning the corner offense earlier today. I was like, oh, yeah. I was at, I was out from my walk doing my thing. I look at my phone. You're like, corner offense, please bring it to Toronto. And I was like, what? You know, he's talking about corner offense. I wonder what was the impetus for this. And Do you it, think it was Scotty anomaly. can uh, mark it was on a, a different tier, and you saw how like that ignited the Raptors, especially from the three point line and the looks that they got. Do you think Scotty can can operate that offense in a similar fashion, or if not? Even better than Mark did. Uh, Raptors, Bucks, Demar Derozan, his one of he helped lead them. They beat Giannis. Yes, you'll remember Matthew <laughs> Dellavedova and Chris Middleton. They ran a lot of corner offense with Delhi as the hub, and they scored playoff <laughs> points. Um, Scotty can run the corner offense. Yes, I'm certain of it. The most important aspect, though, is having guys who can run off of Scotty. Yeah, and that is where it may, maybe gets a little bit more murky because, like, if you if you want to pull the guys out to create a lot of the advantages on corner offense, you got to be able to shoot it. And if it's Pascal, you might be they might be shooting the gap. There might not be much happening. If it's Fred and the shot comes back, if it's some Gary stuff, you know, talking about Caitlin, where she mentioned. Scotty being used in the Sabonis role, he's got magnet eyes for Gary. How do I initiate this handoff with Gary? How do I work with Gary in an empty side? Or maybe there's a guy in the corner or something like that. Not that that matters for Gary because he's not passing it. But how, how do how do you make that work? Yeah. That's stuff I wonder about. But That's certainly the, yeah. the right the right guys on the floor, Scotty could make a killing in the corner offense, certainly. Uh, even Adelman comes or not. I hope that's a piece of it. I hope that they stack options like that um, more often this upcoming season than they did in the last. Because this is something you and I have talked about at length is like the Raptors do kind of just throw Scotty out there, figure it out. And he has his limitations for sure. But you and I have long been kind of impressed with it's not easy to figure out how to impact the game if you don't shoot the ball because shooting is so intuitive. The ball comes to you. If you're a good shooter, you shoot it. If you're a guy who is a cutter, a finisher, a great passer, who is seeing different defense thrown at him, it's not as obvious. And he figures it out. So just more stuff for Scotty, definitely, with the coaches. Um, I'll say I'll, – I'll still keep saying it. Becky Hammond, I, I don't – obviously the thing that has to happen, the players have to buy in. Mm-hmm. We don't have any precedent as a – head coach being a woman in the NBA. It's not about whether the fans accept it. It's about whether the players in the locker room accept it. I hope that the guys on Toronto's team would. I hope that they would view it as merits. I hope that they like wouldn't disrespect based on gender. I hope they wouldn't carry any of that stuff. And I hope that Becky Hammond could get hired by the Raptors, paved that way to a future where women and men can both coach at the highest level in basketball. That being said, Becky, she gets paid way more than WNBA coaches. She mm-hmm. just coached the championship team. They they probably got better, the Aces. And, you know, like, who like who knows, man? Like, it's pretty cushy. Like, yeah. That's, it, that's, like the, the NBA is like the top of the top, but yeah. it, the WNBA is really good basketball. I'm going to be covering the game in Toronto. It's really good basketball, and you know she gets she gets a mill. You know the the average salary in the WNBA for coaches is like under two hundred k for sure. Becky got a million; she got the bag. So 
you know, we'll see what happens. But it's um, I would like to cover it. I'd like to see Becky Hammond navigate it at the NBA level. But as far as coaches, you and I will be doing far more talking about it after it happens. And also, it'll be way more. <laughs> Actually, let's talk about something quick. <laughs> so, uh, Indu tweeted about this because of everybody. I know you saw this tweet as well. Um, she tweeted about this because all the Bucks players were saying, Budenholzer, my guy, I can't believe you're gone. What happened? I'll miss you. And not a peep. No, no sound. For Nick Nurse, the, the championship coach. Yeah. Excommunicado. He's gone. Nobody has said a thing. What does that say to you? I'm curious. Um, it, it, it kind of just like reinforces a lot of like what was said from Masai and also um, everything that's been reported. He's the greatest coach in Raptor history. He's been here for for 10 years. Both Pascal and Fred, have, that's, he's been in their lives their entire career. So it's for, the, for them not to say anything is probably very telling. And also just Masai um, letting out that Nick said, good luck with these dudes in sort of a, a passive aggressive way. At least no, how he I didn't. No, he didn't. That's, that's, maybe it's the that, way he said it. There's, wait, 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 wait. Okay. So you, you, you watched the video. I did. So this, this is funny. Yeah. This is like Rorschach test, right? So I, I was there. Yes. You watch the video. There's like no difference between the two things. Yeah. I like we're basically seeing the exact same thing. When you hear it, you think it's like good luck with those guys. And when I hear it, I think good luck with those guys. Why? Why do you think this is? Well, I think it. It also just the stuff that was reinforced through the entire year that Messiah saying these guys aren't happy. These guys are playing selfish. <laughs> And all the stuff leaking out, and Nurse particularly leaking out that maybe I'm not happy, maybe I want to leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> it seems like there was some sort of bad blood, especially if it was being reported like management was also trying to force minutes for for guys onto him. I don't think things were left off on like the best foot. So I'm I'm not going to make a we we have a different opinion of how that went, but that's yeah. okay. The one thing we don't have a different opinion on is I talked with Blake after the Raptors lost the playing game. We did the reaction podcast. We talked about the future and Blake asked me, do you think Nick is back? I say, no, Nick is gone. Um, I felt very strongly about that. It was true. And I also mentioned before he got fired that after the exit interviews, when Pascal is like, Nick is the best. I love Nick. And you get quotes from OG. That's like, I love Nick nurse. He's like, and all the players in this monotone, it's Nick Nurse. He's great. And then when he's fired, like when there's no, there's no impetus for them to answer. Nobody has a, anything to say. Maybe July 9th, someone will come onto Twitter for the first time and be like, see you, Nick. Or if he gets hired by the Bucks or something, maybe one of the players says, this guy's so great. Good luck. But. Yeah. It's been radio silence for the players he coached and a lot of them for a long time as an assistant to head coach. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like if Earl Watson got hired as an assistant coach on with Phoenix next year, Pascal would tweet about it like, you know, four seconds after the it's, news comes out. Yeah, it's it's rough because it's not that some of these players are have been inactive off Twitter. Pascal congratulated Joel Embiid yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> Pascal's doing like a whole – 
ad thing for Red Bull. Like he's doing he's doing a rollout. Fred is tweeting cryptic stuff too. Yeah. Um, and then it seems like Fred tweeted something that something bad happened to him. And then everyone in the comments is saying like, welcome to China. Guys, please, a little seriousness from the fan base. I Like I beg of you. Um, but yeah, the point being, we haven't heard anything about Nick. We're going to hear some stuff over the summer because of Team Canada. Maybe we'll get some stuff at Summer League, which I think I'll be there. And um, maybe Trey will be there too. A pull-up trade podcast from the top of Caesar's Palace, it would hit. Wow. That's that, that's that what hit. we need. <laughs> of course, like that would be your hotel room. Um, mine would be some dingy little thing. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying to the people. You're in that <laughs> the MGM filled out whole room to yourself, whole floor actually. Okay. So the playoffs are going on. Yeah. We Jokic and Booker, for most people, that's like special. A lot of people are like, wow, I can't believe the heights that have been reached. The Lakers are up 3-1 on the Warriors. AD's defense has been tremendous. The buy-in from the guards to really try and erase the top half of the floor for Steph has been super impressive. There's a bunch of stuff happening. Does Do these playoffs, and I love asking this question, do they make you dream or think of a different type of Raptors team? Does it help change your vision of what type of team you should try and build going forward? Um, change, no, but it reinforces a lot of the thoughts that I had. In the playoffs, like um, – You're saying I've been new? That's that's it. Been the guy. But <laughs> in the playoffs, what every team is focusing on is taking away shots from the rim, not giving up easy three-pointers. The, the most available shot and the shot that everybody is willing to give up is that pull-up mid-range jumper. And you're seeing the players that are having the most success are the ones that can execute those actual uh, that actual shot. Devin Booker is killing everyone simply because the um, the Nuggets don't have don't have the resources to take that off. He's killing them from that range. You saw Joel Embiid yesterday. They let Al Horford said you can shoot twenty of these shots. He hit all of those shots. Guys like Kevin Durant. Those type of players. Guys like Jokic, too. Jokic Jokic is in that in-between, man. It looks different, but it's from similar spots, and the outcome is the same. High efficiency buckets. Yeah. So I think overall, pull-up shooting is just super important. And then also from the defensive end, like Anthony Davis is probably having one of the best defensive playoff performances I've, I've probably seen, probably since Tim Duncan. And having rim protection changes everything for you defensively. It makes players like D'Angelo Russell viable defensively because all they have to do is chase. The Creating more chaos than what we were doing last year as a Raptors team, you need to perform at the, the highest percentile of execution in order for it to work, whereas a team like the Lakers can say, we can put D'Angelo Russell on Klay Thompson because if he runs off, Anthony Davis is going to block a shot. So I just think... Um, the Raptors won. They've addressed that with Jakob Perto. He's one of the better ones in the league. They have not addressed the pull-up shooting stuff, and that's what I'm hoping going into the summer that becomes a lot more viable, especially to help Scotty grow as a player too. It's The Raptors are not going to be ready next season. <laughs> I didn't think so. um, <laughs> uh, You know, sorry to friend of the podcast, Timbo, but – they're not built for war in that way. 
in some ways they are built for war there there are some aspects of the raptors ethos that you can see firmly in you know playoff basketball the tryhard stuff the raptors have been there yeah but they've been doing it for a lot more games than other teams and they still haven't been winning that often that's the tough part um the, the point you make about davis and being able to send guys downhill it shrinks the floor and it makes the responsibility of the big man way more but if you have a really great big then you can you can pressure a lot of actions and you can kind of eliminate a lot of the floor and a lot of the danger, especially especially for teams like Boston and Golden State. The two teams that were in the finals last year, both down, right? Yep. Three, and what, what is the common denominator there? Really fantastic big man defense, of course. And then for the 76ers, the shot making from any of Harden, Maxi, or Embiid, nuts. Tremendous. Mm-hmm. Really, really great. And then on the other side, you know, the, the the Warriors are a more limited defensive team in some sense because they don't have that same – like they're, they're, they're more versatile. They can go a lot of different ways, but they haven't found that one thing that makes them super successful. And, you know, like the Lakers, I've said D'Angelo Russell is underrated for some time. Some games he's going to give you four points on one of nine shooting. Some games he's going to shoot 15 times and give you like 23, 24 and great reads out of the pick and roll. That's great. Austin Reeves struggled for a while, still finding his way as a ball handler. LeBron, Anthony Davis. Like, there's enough guys who can put the ball down that when they create an advantage, they're going to find better shots. And so I just, the Raptors need more diversity in their ball handlers. They need more pull-up shooting. And they're set on defense. They will be a good defense next year. It's just, there's too many good players, provided that something changes, of course. But um, I'm also of the mind that this playoffs has reinforced more than it has changed what, what I think. Um, to your point about getting to the rim, I can't remember exactly what the percentages were, but during the regular season, I think it's around 33, 34% of shots were coming like at the rim in the paint. Yeah. And then that goes down by around 5, 6% in the first round. And then that goes down between 4 or 5% the next round. Like, the rim pressure is slowly being siphoned away because teams with that extra effort, that extra incentivization, they're more willing to like play in the gaps, take that step over, move the ball. And since it's the playoffs, they're going to do all of this with hyperactivity and the buy-in. Yeah. They're going to make sure that rotation is made. You have to reach the breaking point. And the good teams reach the breaking point, bust through it, finish at the rim, get to a soft spot, hit a pull-up jumper, run really great actions where sometimes in all of the like the wacky chaos that's going on, a pin in screen hits a guy and he just gets killed on it. You have a wide open three and they have a good shooter to hit that. Um, the Raptors aren't there, but hopefully they continue to build um, with good players and more spacing. God, is it important because you just need room to play and your best players need that too. Otherwise, it's not. It's just not going to cut it, man. Uh, <laughs> not at all. Any any basketball stuff you want to talk about before we talk about our precious Blue Jays? The Blue Jays. Um, I think uh, the only thing I want to take away, I think heading into the the playoffs, um, I thought going into it that the stars were going to win a lot of these games, and they they always do. But I think what we've seen from every series is that. 
every game it's a role player swinging it and it's usually that role player that has um a a mini set skill of being a ball handler and operating out of certain actions the lakers have four or five of those guys you saw last last series pool was able to swing swing games um even on on phoenix with booker and and durant pretty much bruce bruce brown as well yeah like he's huge huge game last game what do you have 25 points 25 yeah yeah and anyone on phoenix being able to provide a, a morsel of of offense can help like swing an entire game so it just goes to show like how much parity is in the in the league and because a lot of these guys are going head to head and kind of eating these themselves up so heading into these matchups you really have to think about how well, like from a schematic standpoint, do these teams match up and from a personal standpoint, which is really fun to watch. It's been humbling, I would say, to see a lot of these teams who are finding success go to the seventh or eighth guy on the roster yeah. and find a guy who will hit an open shot when ran off the line, can be going downhill to get all the way to the rim, find a soft spot, or make a progressive pass. And just the fact that the Raptors do not they are not chock full of those guys um there, there's not a lot of depth in that regard it's been tough blue jays they've lost two in a row to the phillies they get a day off by the time people are listening to this there won't be a jays game then they they go again and then it's yankees we're going to be there for the kevin gossman start i think yeah i saw a stat that not really a stat, just standings. You know, people overuse the term stat. Standings, anyway. They had the fourth best record in the MLB and the third best in the AL East. What do you like? Is that not absurd? Yeah. Why? Why does this have to be the case, man? <laughs> no, it's it's rough, uh, especially like heading in the mindset. Um, if you think about the last week, you're like, this is really disappointing. They they've lost what five they lost six or seven of their last ten, and seven seven of their last ten I believe seven out of their last ten they saw it's been one of the best starts the Blue Jays have ever had and you're headed <laughs> <laughs> no they had their best start ever yes exactly and you're heading into these games thinking like man we absolutely need to win these games because the Rays are pulling away from us so it's it. It's cool in the sense where you kind of have like these games really matter very early, just because everybody in the AL East is really good. But um, I think takeaway, especially from the last week, like this team goes how their starting pitching goes for the most part. You saw heading into the win streak, all five of their starters were giving them quality starts, and then heading into the Boston series, none of them gave them quality starts, and they lost all of those games. Check in time, Gossman versus. Manoa. I think Manoa is going to end up with more wins than Gossman at the end of the year. That's that's what I think is going to happen, even though there's a huge disparity in performances right now. Gossman gave you six innings, only three hits, no earned runs, nine strikeouts. He's sitting at 3-3-8. Three, three, Manoa, I believe, is in the high fours or the low fives. Yeah. How do you feel about our ERA bet? At this, <laughs> at this current place, I, w- I was super confident heading, heading into the year. Manoa's a rising star, one of the the, the highest risers in in the league. He's improved. Bro, he's risen. 
<laughs> he's a descending star. He he's got third. He got third in Cy Young. Now he's now he's gonna fall off. That's how. Yeah, he's he's really struggling with with his command, and he already wasn't a guy that was gonna blow you away with his stuff. So his command needs to be at the highest highest plane as as possible. He doesn't have a, like Kevin Gossman's splitter, which is super nasty, and even when he misses, you're gonna swing at it. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> for my sake, I'm hoping uh, things turn around, and there's a long season left. So I, I'm I'm sticking to, I'm sticking to things. My fingers are crossed too. Yeah. He's gonna give us another good start versus the Yankees. Yeah. That's what I think happens. Maybe that gets him back on track. That's what we said after last time. But I don't know, man. He's just you don't want to over index on the like he's a gamer. Like you don't want to do that too much. Yeah. But like he seems like I competitive i don't know the way people look and talk we pay way too much attention to it but it it was true manoa never had special he didn't have special stuff last season yeah like he he had good stuff and he had like that bulldog demeanor and it's like somehow he translates that into you know what through his first two seasons he has a 3.2 through his first 50 starts he has a sub three era like that's he had the best Insane. start with a as a Blue Jays pitcher since like Dave Steep, right? Mm-hmm. Even Roy Halladay in one of his first years had an enormous ERA. Manoa looked like he was on he was in the All Star game, punchies, all that kind of stuff. We'll see if it turns around. I don't know, man. My fingers are crossed. I hope it's still rising star, not descending star. <laughs> tough, oh. <laughs> definitely tough. Uh, have you? Has anybody really impressed you on the hitting side? Brandon Belt, we kind of we were cooking yeah. him. He is, I think, fourth in the MLB in the amount of pitches he takes per at bat. Like he 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 had a home run today. He's he's been drawing more walks. He's turned. He's been pretty good lately. No, he has he has been. And the Jays uh, for this lineup to work, especially if they make the playoffs, they need a left-handed bat. That they're is- making the playoffs, dude. Don't say if, please, <laughs> <laughs> please. <laughs> But yeah, they they need a left-handed bat that is going to be impactful because when you saw with the in the wild card game, teams are going to say, "I'm going to throw a left-handed pitcher because there's three right-handers coming back to back to back," and the Jays were were one of the worst teams last year at getting left-handed pitchers or getting hits off left-handed pitchers. So in, for them to make a run, they need Belt, Belt and Varsho, especially who are at the top of the order to do extremely well to to put pressure on teams bringing in bullpen relievers and also just the starters that they, they pick. I just – I love being a lefty myself. <laughs> a sweet swinging lefty. Ken Griffey is like the god yeah. to me. Robinson Cano was the god to me. Even, you know, Adam Lynn didn't have the sauce, but he gave you like over 30 home runs, over 100 RBIs. He had that one season that was crazy. Um, I love a sweet swinging lefty. And I still don't think the Blue Jays have it, but if Belt, like his last, I don't know, if today's May 10th, his last, I don't know, 15 to 20 days of baseball has been pretty good. Yep. And so if he can just continue that, his stats will actually look pretty good by the end of the season, I believe. Maybe he has a hot streak. I don't know. I also want to see some home runs from Flatty. I know, like, that's casual fan. 
I'm I'm doing the same thing that I like when people get snippy at me during like the Raptor stuff. I'm like, relax, okay, that's not how it works. I'm like, give me the home runs. I want home runs. But I do. What can I say? I'm a little dinger piggy. That's uh a- anything else you want to say? I'm rambling at this point. No. Um <laughs> I hoping hoping by um soon that we have an idea of the the coach because I think it's going to for the Raptors, it's going to define what they're looking for this summer, and I, that will give me an idea of should I panic or not. So I'm just waiting. Uh, we've been reached out to a couple interviews, us, since they're interviewing all the podcasters, uh, JJ, Trey, <clears throat> Samson. Um, next week, Koulibaly and Sensibo. Drafts. We're talking about prospects. Um, so look forward to that. I'll be talking to quite a few people about draft prospects. One of those people will be Trey. I have to catch up because he watches way more college ball. And he was, God, Trey was such a sicko for Wendanyama this year. That's why he was tapped in. Kulabali, like, I wasn't. I didn't even bother with it. But that's the man right there. He's a, He loves the draft prospects. So we're talking about him next week. We're going to find out. I'm just saying, when we might not be the best prospect on his team. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> this guy. Um, that's Tim is listening to this. He, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, any, any parting shots for the listeners before we get out of here? Um, um, sorry to break it to some of you guys. We weren't beefing. We, we took a break. Um, more, more draft <laughs> content to come along and looking forward to digging, digging into a lot of that stuff. Cause the draft, especially when you have a disappointing season like this, the draft is what gives you a lot of hope. And most likely by our next episode, we'll know what pick we have. So I'll be really be able to dig into the guys that I should be looking at. We will. Yeah, we, we will. We'll know by next Tuesday. That's the, for anybody who's oh, wondering, true. that's the draft lottery. Yeah. We'll be at the Jays game, uh, hanging out when the Raptors get the pick that they end up getting. I guess we'll see. Um, maybe we'll, we'll live stream from the stadium. If they get the first overall pick, that's my promise to you. We'll get the insights of all the people sitting around us. I think we'll be by, I think we'll end up by a bullpen. Maybe we can get like one of the Yankees relievers. If they're a big basketball fan to comment, something like that. Uh, okay. That's it. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, just thanks for listening all the time. The pull up tray podcast has performed extremely well. Um, I knew Trey was extremely likable. I talked sports with him for years before we started doing a podcast. Um, I'm glad everybody likes him so much and likes our dynamic so much. It's been not not a surprise, just We're welcome. Great. So thanks to everybody for uh, tuning in with us. And yeah, if you got into this on YouTube, like the video, that's good. If you're listening to this on the podcast, keep doing that. And uh, subscribe to RaptorsRepublic.com if you want to see my prospect writing. That's where it will be, and it will be paywall as well, and that's why you subscribe. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day, and goodbye.